I'm reading a book uh, called I Love Science, But I Do Not Love the Empire. And by the empire, it just means the culture and the worldly explanations and forces that call themselves science or that purport to understand scientific analysis and yet come up with such ridiculous theories as we got here because some aliens seeded the planet and and all kinds of of just crazy things, including including bizarre explanations or flat-out denials of events like the great flood of our history. Uh, of, of the early history of the earth, which the Bible describes with some detail. And I'd like to spend a number of weeks talking about not just the flood, but the man that we connect with the flood, Noah, and the boat. And just this whole epic adventure in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. It's, uh, an, amazing, it's an amazing uh, point of history. You know, the first, uh, the the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis just gives a lot of names of these men and their wives who followed Adam and Seth, and the the line of succession of those godly people, <clears throat> many of who lived five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred years, and we read these and we're astounded. But we realized something was certainly vastly different back then. And these people lived this, these extreme ages compared to now. Probably many, many things uh, were different back then. But the, <clears throat> apparently the genetic stock of mankind was young and fresh. And at that time, the, the, the de- degradations of sin hadn't made their inroads in it as they, are to, as they have today. <clears throat> But the chapter 5 tells just the number of names and the generations and so forth. And then we come to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, everything takes a hard right and turn. Chapter 6 is the narrative of God looking down and realizing that things had gone left. And things had gone uh, increasingly evil on the world. And that Satan, in his attempt to destroy mankind and defile God's creation, that Satan was making far too much progress far too quick. And so the Lord was so disturbed and so disgusted that he decided to just kind of pull a plug on the whole earth and the whole mankind thing. Until he noticed, he turned his attention, and it's not like, uh, when it says God, uh, that, that God saw or God noticed, it isn't like God didn't know intellectually before, but I think it's a way of telling us in this story that, that the Lord turned and focused attention on a particular aspect. And he saw this amazing person whose, lives have affected, his, whose life affected every one of our lives in this room because you know the story, how God shut down everything. And there was just this one thin line, this one man, between total annihilation of the human population and us today. And that was Noah. This one person caught God's eye and God said, I can't just mix him in with all the rest. He's different. And I I have to respect that. I have to stand up for Noah. I have to protect Noah. 
I may be, I may be done with everybody else, but I, I just can't turn away from this guy who is so engaging and so real and so authentic in his walk with me and his trust and his fellowship with me. So um, I, I would like to look at different aspects of that story, and uh, there are a lot of different aspects, and you can read a lot of different explanations about this event in our history. When the Lord said to Noah, I want you to build a boat, and it even tells us the dimensions of the boat, and when you realize that it was half again, or half uh, let me say it this way, half as wide as a football field and one and a half times as long as a hundred-yard football field, you realize this is a staggering event, a staggering piece of work that, that Noah did. It boggles our mind and imagination. You could haul a truckload of lumber out onto a football field and start laying it together, and you wouldn't cover a corner of, of, the, of the field, and yet what he, the scope of what he had to work with was really uh, phenomenal, and what he was able to accomplish was phenomenal because it was not only the pre preservation of life, but it was the picture for us of Jesus Christ, and we'll come back to that in weeks to come. If you miss a Sunday and you're not able to, uh, they, they tell me that we're on the internet now, so by the way, anybody who's watching this by uh, on YouTube, we love you, whatever the camera is, I don't know, but... Uh, um, we are glad that you could uh, be here today. Let me read a few verses from chapter 6 of, of Genesis, <clears throat> starting in verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. <clears throat> that, that explains a lot. In other words, there was no reprieve. Things had gone south so, so deeply, so far, that what God saw was there was no, there was no uh, sense of rescue here. It wasn't like men ventured into evil for a while and then they turned back and said, well, that wasn't too good. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't think like that. I should. It just says every inclination all the time, day and night, was for, towards violence and evil and and things that were, that were so sinful and wrong in their treatment of one another, in their um, mistreatment of one another. Every inclination and thought of the heart was only evil all the time. That's a lot of superlatives stacked up on top of each other to say God just said, look, i got to judge these people. I have to uh, bring some consequences. There's, there's nothing here to restore. And, and so you realize that the, the propaganda of Satan and the work of Satan at that time on, that, on those people was utterly, uh, apparently, just complete and just saturated their thought lives and their relational the relationships and so forth. I don't know how different we are from that today. It doesn't seem to me like much, but apparently the Lord must think so because he has not yet returned and, and judged us in the same way. But the Lord saw this, how the whole world had just become, had turned completely evil. And his heart, the Lord was grieved and that he had made man on the earth. And his heart was filled with pain. <clears throat> so the Lord said, 
I'm just not going to put up with it. You know, every one of us have a point in which we snap. <laughs> there isn't one of us in this room that if we were not pushed far enough, long enough, wouldn't at some point say, okay, that's it. Whether it's by another person, whether by a pet, whether it's by a circumstance, or whatever it is that's nagging us and dragging at us, at some point, we just, if it continues nonstop, there's a point at which we say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And that's the point God had apparently reached. And so he said, I'm sorry this all happened. I grieve that I have made man. I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. I am grieved that I've made them. That's a sorry statement. And I'm sorry we have to read it in the scripture. It's sorry in the sense that here God, just we just recently read in two or three chapters ahead of this, the beautiful story, the amazing creativity of God and amazing power put this package together, of this crystal jewel that sits there in the universe. Um, not only the only planet that we know of that has life, but the only planet that we know of that's capable of having any type of life as ours is, of uh, the life of any form that is similar to ours because of a number of different factors. And God put all this together. This is just, just an absolute stroke of genius, how he, how he put it all together. And now here he is saying, I'm getting rid of it all. I'm just going to undo everything just like I'm going to hit the delete button. This is where the Lord is at. I'm grieved that I've made him, but, verse 8, and this is where I want to start in the story of Noah. But, this, this great reversal. He felt this way apparently about everything and everyone except this one man. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah. So these talk about the pain that God has, that God had in that moment, in that historic situation. And I think I want to take one moment and remind us, <clears throat> because we may well forget sometimes in our feeling that we almost are, are the, that it is our story that's being written in our being so caught up in our own journey and our own dreams and goals, we can forget or ignore how much our evil brings pain to the heart of the Lord. God will be okay. He can, he can handle my sin. He can handle my struggles. Um, whenever I'm done and with, with the things that mess me up, God will still be on His throne. We believe that. So therefore, we don't really stop and often maybe pay any attention or ponder the fact that the odor of my sin goes up. That the wrongfulness of my sin, as it's, even as it spreads out into the society or the world or, or the circumstance around me, also spreads upward. And the heart of God and the plan of God and the... Um, the, the involvement of God is always there. And so, 
it may startle us to think or realize that God in all His power and all His splendor, who made all this world and all the universe that we can be aware of and whatever is beyond it, that He would actually cry, that He would say, what's wrong with David? Why does he have to be uh, so foolish? That it would actually grieve him, that it would actually bother him, worry him, and tear him up inside, and yet this is what it says. And these are the kind of adjectives it uses to describe God. I think it's fantastic to think that God notices our world, even the sin, even the, even the, the violence, even the thoughts that are so wrong. He's paying attention. And um, I think probably if we stop and think about the role of the Lord as the inventor or the creator, we perhaps can have a little bit of, 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 of understanding. If you made something, if you had a patent, for example, or you had an invention or something that you created, when that thing goes by you or that thing gets some kind of notice or that thing is used or misused, you realize it and you notice it and you pay attention because that's your baby. It, I guess we could almost use the analogy of a parent with a child. You know, there can be a thousand kids out there marching in the band or playing the, foot, playing the game or whatever, but boy, you're noticing exactly what your kid does and your kid says. And it's hilarious or it's maddening or whatever it is, but you're paying attention and you're involved and you will react. And this is the same with God. He's the inventor and the designer. He's the, he holds all the patents. He, everything about not simply our world, but our human interactions and our human lives and our goals and our potential, all of that. It's, it's, it's all very important stuff to the Lord. And he, and he cares about it. And he cared about Noah or he, or he cared about the world back there in Noah's day. And so um, when it talks about the wickedness and the evil, I've already mentioned this, but I think that the, my point is that the, that the Scripture is making here is that, that, that the wickedness of our lives and the evil things we do or say or the way we interfere with what's right and we kind of pry in there and, and do something that's not right, whenever these things happen, the ripple effects of it not only go outward, and we know that if this is, this is society, this is living life in a family. When I mistreat you, it, it, the ripples go outward. We know that. But they also go upward. And they are reacted to in the heavens. And that's what it's saying here with Noah. This, the sadness of the fact that evil interferes with God's good purpose for your life. And when you don't follow him and you don't obey him, you're just messing with yourself. You're just destroying the best that you could have. It's called often, I've heard people express it this way, in their, may, maybe especially in their older years, it's called regret. So many times I've had people say or heard people say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Way back there, I regret making this decision. I regret doing this thing that was, was wrong. Well, it's, the regret means that you're realizing that now that it interfered with God's best for your life at whatever stage you may be. And, and so that's, 
the story of sin. It, it thwarts God's best purpose. So God is not exempt from the anguish that sin has introduced into his creation. You know, at the very beginning when Satan tempted Eve and Adam and they, they, and they followed and they fell, um, we're told that God had a conversation with Satan right there in the garden when he came. And he, this, the, <coughs> he said to Satan, there's going to be a conflict from here on. And uh, there's going to be a conflict in which you're going to be striking at the heel and they're going to be stomping at the head. And this is just a, a great symbolic picture of our conflict. Of course, it was also a prophecy of Jesus Christ who crushed the head of Satan on Easter morning. Who crushed the head of Satan on Friday evening when he, crucif- when he was crucified for our sins and defeated the strategy that Satan had. <clears throat> so, uh, God was very pained, but then we just read in verse 8 that God was filled with pleasure over this one man. And I, I find that so interesting and so exciting that God was excited, that God was impressed and excited and moved um, so that he moved his hand. He, he was getting ready to swat the earth and just knock it off its orbit and, and he's about like this, and he looks down and he says, would you see that dude Noah? Wow, I, I, can't, I just can't do it. I got to come up with something else. Rather than knock the planet off of its uh, axis, I, I, I've got to come up with something different because um, I'm impressed. That's part of what it means when it says that he found favor. Come back to that in a second. But he determined that he would not proceed with destroying humanity. What was it about Noah that impressed God? What that that it, it says found favor with God? I'm going to mention just three words. It says in verse 9, this is the account of Noah. He was a righteous man. That's number one. He was blameless among the people of his time or his day or his generation. That's number two. And he walked with God. That would be number three. So the first one, the righteous idea, is that of moral behavior. That Noah was honest. That he was faithful to his wife. That he was the the kind of things that we would often refer to as moral rules or moral laws. That this is how Noah lived. He wasn't uh, he, he wasn't deceitful. He wasn't duplicitous. He was real. And he really obeyed from his heart the moral laws that God, such as God, had made known to them. They didn't have the Ten Commandments yet. This was far before Moses went up on the mountain, historically. But God had communicated to them enough, and Moses or Noah followed those things that he knew. He was a righteous man. When it says he got along with his neighbors, or he was perfect among his generation, or he was... He was uh, blameless among the people. I take it just to be a statement about the social life of Noah, that with his neighbors and his family, he was respectful to them. He, he didn't try to hurt them. He didn't try to take advantage of them. He didn't try to use them for his purposes. Uh, he, didn't, he, he, he didn't think he was the only important one in the world and nobody else really mattered. He cared about other people. So 
He was not only righteous before God, but he was respectful of his neighbors. And the third thing that it mentions specifically is the word walked. And I love this word. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament that as a, as a synonym for or a, a, a description of living, of relating. To say in the scriptures that someone walked with God is a way of saying this person had an authentic relationship with God. Walked is not a matter of rules and rituals. Perhaps righteousness is, but not walked. Walked is of dealing with relationships, of conversation, of intimacy, of speaking and listening to God. Noah was excited about God as his friend, just as God was excited at what he saw in the life of Noah. And so these two had a companionship and a relationship just as surely as a good friend does on a human level or a husband and wife who have a good, solid relationship, who are partners and friends. This is the kind of idea. They had joyful communion with each other. They loved each other. God loved Noah, and Noah loved, loved God. You know, it's fun to be in love. It's, it's, it's an exciting and a joyful thing to, um, to have a relationship where the love is mutual. I'm reminded in chapter 5, it tells us a little bit about Noah's great-grandfather. His name was Enoch. And it says he walked with God. And the relationship of God and this man, Enoch, was so tight and so uh, open with communication and, and so much filled with love that God said, Enoch, you're too far away. I'm going to bring you up here. I, I want you to hang around me closer. It says Enoch never died. It just says Enoch disappeared, basically. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was no longer on the earth, for God took him. Now, with Noah, the Lord didn't say, Oh, Noah, I love you so much, I just, you're too far away. He did, I'm going to bring you up to heaven. He didn't say that. He said, I'll tell you what I am going to do. I'm shutting this whole thing down. I'm just going to deal exclusively with you. I don't, none of the other people have my heart as you do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you some plans, Noah. I'm going to get rid of everybody and everything, and I'm going to work just with you because you and I can work together. You are walking with me. It's that kind of, an, it's that kind of a thing. It's, it's a relational statement. Noah found favor with God. What does this word mean? What, what is this idea? Um, I, I, I'm just going to quickly mention three things about it. And the and, and an equivalent idea in the New Testament to this term that's translated the Hebrew word is hain or hain, and it's uh it's just often translated grace or being pleased with someone. It's um, fairly common word, but there are other there's there's sort of different angles that I think are part of it. And I want to I want to mention three of them. First one, which I will refer to as a New Testament equivalent of grace. Bob, you mentioned, Bob Stoner, you mentioned grace early this morning. I'm thankful for grace, that God gives us grace. Ephesians says, by grace are you saved. We don't deserve it, we don't earn it, but God wants us to be protected. He wants us to be saved. He wants to cover over anything that could go wrong with us. And so this idea of preservation. So when it says Noah found favor in God's eyes, 
part of it means that God didn't want to destroy Noah. He didn't, he, he was repulsed at the idea that he would have to harm his good, good friend. Rather, he wants to preserve him and he wants to protect him. Secondly, it's the idea also or the angle of not only protecting someone, but actually giving them a boost, giving them an encouragement of saying, you know, you're here, I, I want to help you, boom, I want to help you get over there somewhere. And, and so I'm going to do what I can to give you success. I, wanna, I, I want to pour out my blessing on you. In the New Testament, um, one of the things we're told that I think that would be perhaps equivalent, Romans, 8, chapter, Romans chapter 8, it says, because you are sons of God, or daughters, then you are also heirs. An heir is someone who inherits whatever is left to them by their parents or relative or something. Um, in other words, as a, as a person, as a human being, all of us, I'm sure in, the, in this room, probably all of us feel the same way. If we die, or we're going to leave this scene of life. Whatever stuff we may have, be it little or be it great, we probably don't want to just wander off and say, I don't care about what happens to it or who gets it. I mean, if the lawyers want to take it or the government wants it, that's okay with me. It don't matter. No, we usually say, wait a minute, this represents the fruits of my life, whatever maybe financial success I'm able to have. So I want to make sure that it's directed to people that I want to bless, and so I'm going to leave a will, or I'm going to make sure this can be given to my heirs. Whoever it is, I want to direct the, uh, the things of my life to give somebody else a bonus. I want, it, I want to bless them because I love them. That's the idea of favor. And I think when it says in the New Testament that God not only causes his sons, but we are the heirs. Of his kingdom. We are the inheritors of all the riches and the blessings that God has. It's part of this idea of God's favor. And then there's more. I'm so struck by the fact that it didn't just say God found favor, or Noah found favor, but the next phrase is God started saying something to Noah. And he says, Noah, I got a plan. Listen up, because it involves you. That to me is even. The most profound part of the favor of God on our life is not just that God loves us and He wants to give us stuff, not just that He wants to protect us. He wants to work with us, and He wants you to work with Him. And the New Testament says He gives you gifts. He gives you um, grace in the sense not of protection and benevolence, but grace in the sense of being able to participate in His nature. It says in 2 Peter chapter 4, or chapter 1, that God um, has given us all we need for God, life and godliness. And that through this and the promises that he's given to us, we are able to participate in the divine nature. God is interested in collaboration and participation with us in our lives, with Noah in his life. That's why he said, Noah, I want to talk to you. I got something that yesterday I was cooking chicken. Quick, quick story. I was cooking chicken and some lady comes down. To the, to the cooker. I never met this lady. Didn't see her. Never done anything about her. I can't even remember her name now. I'm sorry if you're watching. But uh, she said, 
She, she came up and she said, uh, I have been all over this country. I've lived in different parts of this country. I've traveled this country. I've eaten chicken everywhere I have gone. And there is no chicken in America that is as good as your chicken. And she just stood there and she was just complimentary. And I'm like, okay, you know, maybe the smoke's getting to her. And, and then she said, and I lived in Europe for a few years. And I've traveled across Europe. And I've eaten chicken in many countries in Europe. And I've been to Australia and New Zealand, and blah, blah, blah. And she said, there is no chicken anywhere that is this good. And she, and, and she just, and furthermore, um, she said, oh, and the macaroni and cheese. Oh, it, it's so different. She started off on that trap for a while. But anyway, she's very, very, very complimentary. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying to keep my chicken from burning and listen, you know, listen to her. And, uh, and I thanked her for a compliment, and she, was, and, and she said, well, I, was, I wanted to come and tell you this because I was told that you were considering not doing it this year because of, you're going to have to increase in price, and you didn't want to increase in price. And, so, and I said, that's right. I, I, I thought about, uh, about it. But she said, well, I'm here because I want to suggest something to you. You shouldn't do it once a month. You should do it every week. <laughs> I'm like, ah, that's not going to happen. And then she said, and I would like to suggest that you add brisket to your menu. With Ralph's recipe, with this recipe that you have, if you would do that with brisket, it would be out of this world. Now, I, I don't even remember the rest of what she said. It just went on and on from there. But here's my point. The lady wanted to protect me. She wanted to bless me. She wanted to see me succeed. That was obvious. And she was very complimentary in the, in to, to the chicken. But then she said, why don't you do some brisket? Why don't you add this? Now, now this, now this favor, well, however I got favor in her eyes, now this favor is revealing its true depth. It's not simply... Uh, I like you, I like what you're doing, you're doing well, I want to help. It's not just that, but I have an idea. And with your work and my brain, we can... And I don't mean that in a bad way. Because this is exactly how God came to Noah. And he said, look, with my brain and your work, we can save the world. It's going to be rough, it's going to be nasty, but let's work together. I will give you the ideas. I'll give you the plans. I will, I will explain how to combine biscuit, brisket and recipe. I can, I can do all that stuff. But you've got a lot of work that you have to do. You can do it. This is favor. This Noah found that God came to him so excited. Not only that he wanted to take care of him, but that he felt he could work with him and use him. And therefore, he would give him the gifts, he would give him the ideas. God gives us spiritual gifts. He says this to us. And, and he also says, look, when I give you the gifts that I've given you, I expect them to be used. They're not just there for you to say, oh, isn't it nice to get a compliment? They're there for you to help save the world. And, and so therefore, this is what um, the, Lord, the Lord does. Three thoughts, and I'm done. First of all, I love this fact and I, I take a lot of, I take a, I take a lot of meat out of this fact. People 
No, you favor them when you talk to them. It says, God said to Noah. God came down, I don't know how, I don't know when it happened, I don't know if Noah heard a voice with his ears, if this was all in his mind, I don't know if God set up a, like a, what is it, Zoom thing, I don't know how he did it, and it don't matter. My point is that favor is expressed when I go and talk to you, and you come and talk to me, when we talk to each other. We realize this person doesn't think they're above me. This person doesn't hold me in contempt. This person isn't disgusted by me. They sat down and they talked to me. One-on-one, they came to visit me. They came down to my level. They actually, they, they sat here and they looked me in the eye and they said, hey, I have an idea. And I think you could help or I think this would be a marvelous thing for you. And so I'm bringing my idea to you. You see what I mean? People... This is communicated. You can, you, can say, you can have favor on somebody and how they ever know if you don't talk to them. If you don't come and say, hey, you make the best chicken in the world. Then they know your feelings and they understand that they are your peer, that, that, there's a, that you, you feel like a peer rather than a student. And so, not that Noah was a peer of God, but this is, this is simply what I'm trying to, what, what I'm trying to say. God not only talked to Noah, but it gets richer. It gets better. God said, Noah, um, I'm going to tell you something I'm not telling anybody else. Now, he's revealing inner thoughts. He's taking Noah into his confidence. And so now we really realize that God's favored Noah. I think when somebody takes you into their confidence and tells you things and says, and says to you, um, you know, I, nobody else knows this or please don't pass this along. This is just for you. It, you, you realize by the fact that someone trusted you enough to take you into their confidence that you are special. And that you are loved and that you are favored. And I'm simply saying, never disrespect that. Always respect and treat with most delight the fact that someone, whether it's meaningful to you or not, it's meaningful to them. And if they say, I, I, I need to tell you something. It's important and I want you to know and nobody else needs to know, but I don't have the same relationship. The implication is I don't have the same relationship with everybody else that I have with you. Treat that with great respect because it is, it is an expression of the favor of their life. Here's the last thing, and this, uh, this, this, is quite a powerful way, uh, this is quite a powerful way to close. This is quite a powerful thought to consider. When someone comes to you and says, hey, can you do some brisket? Um, can you imagine how much work Noah had ahead of him? I'm going to destroy the rest of the world, but I'm going, to, I'm going to use you, but you're going to have to build a boat. Can you imagine? Now, what's, what options does Noah have at that point? I can think of two. And the first one is, oh, Lord, why me? Why do I always get picked to do all the work? 
a boat. I'm not a sailor. You see what I mean? Noah could have focused on the obligation of the work and said, oh, I hate it. Forgive me, I know some of you have this feeling when you see me coming and saying, oh, I got a question for you. Hey, Cindy, can you read the scripts? Can you read scripts? Oh, why me? Yes. When somebody has favor on you and they want to bless and help you, sometimes it involves work. But when they want to bless many other people through you, sometimes it involves a whole ton of work. But guess what? You can ignore that in, the, in, your, in your main focus. And you can go immediately to this. What a privilege to be the person that God in His favor asked to build His boat. Wow. What a privilege that some woman that you never even knew comes up and says, you know, of everybody that I could make brisket, I would trust you in your recipe. That you, uh, I'm not going to make brisket, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it, and I pretty well told her that yesterday. But she was... She, was, and she wasn't being overbearing in any way or anything else. I'm just using this as an illustration, just something that occurred yesterday. We need to focus and we can focus on the privilege of being able to respond, of being the boat builder, of being the sailor, of saving the world by, you, by doing our work, the work that God has given to us, and say, wow. God trusts me, and he favors me enough to come and ask me to accomplish something that's part of his plan. This is an awesome thing for me. This is a, a, this is a, a beautiful favor that God has expressed to me. Yeah, he's asking me to work and sweat, but the privilege of doing so for that is immense. Heavenly Father, we praise you. All favor comes from you. All blessings flow from you. All goodness that, that visits our life is because you first have seen us and you've seen us with, with grace. You've seen us as your children, as your heirs. You, you, have, you have seen us as co-laborers with you. And able to do things that you, that you want to see done here in this world as your ambassadors or your envoys. And so we, we are amazed. And we want to close this time by simply pondering that. And pondering what our response might be to your favor. Do we sometimes just drag our feet and say, well, you could have favored somebody else because this is a lot of work. Or do we just simply rejoice in the, 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 the blessings that flow? We thank you today. We want to respond as Noah did when he said, well, I'll, I'll start tomorrow. In Jesus' name, we come and thank you. Amen. I want to do something a little strange, a little bit of more work for Suzanne. We're going to sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But we all know that and we're all used to that. And therefore, it probably is just an old ritual.
I want to do the same song, and I realize it's time that we need to be done. So let's stand. We're going to sing the same song twice, but it has a different tune. Verse 1 is a, a little more probably unusual or unknown. Is it hard? It's not hard, is it? No. Could you, could you play maybe the first one? And then we'll sing it. Anybody heard that one? It's beautiful. Let's sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Isn't that beautiful? And now if we could just do the one that we probably all don't even need any book to look at. Praise God from people sit together. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may have a wonderful day.